Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today, today I'm delighted to be joined by Danielle Glito. Uh, she is the exec director and founder of One Simple Wish. Uh, she's a mum. And uh, if I remember rightly, you've got one bio kid and, and one adopted kid. Is that right? I forgot that. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> Thank, I, sometimes I struggle to read my own notes. You know, it's like a, it's a month since we spoke last. So welcome to the show, uh, Danielle. Really great to uh to, to see you thank you thanks so much i'm excited to, to get to talking yeah so um can you tell us a, tell the audience a little bit about yourself sure um uh my name's danielle glito and i am uh as you said i'm a mom of two uh, i have uh, they are both 14 years old right now um every year during the summer my girls are the same age which is pretty awesome they, uh, one is by my biological daughter and the other uh, was adopted through foster care. Um, I was a foster parent for a few years. Um, both my husband and I were foster parents uh, after just deciding that we wanted to uh, be involved in the foster care system. There was no real, I think, exciting story behind that, but um, it definitely opened our eyes to a significant problem. And in our society, um, you know, here in the United States, at that time, at any given point in time, there were over 500,000 kids in the foster care system. And uh, we wanted to, you know, be part of, of helping out. Uh, we also wanted to adopt. And I know that's kind of a controversial entryway into foster care. And we could certainly talk about that. Um, but uh, we did ultimately adopt my daughter. Uh, after that, just decided, you know, I wasn't done. I wanted to do more. And so while I was on maternity leave with, uh, with my daughter, Liliana, I drafted this plan to launch a site called One Simple Wish that would make it easy for anybody who wanted to help bring a little joy to somebody experiencing the trauma of foster care yeah. to just go online and make a simple wish come true. And a tiny little idea started in my home office. And we now uh, work with pretty much every U.S. state and um, every kind of redundant, uh, every United States, <laughs> all 50 states. And uh, we have over 2000 agency partners that we work with. So it's grown tremendously. And uh, I also run a charity for um, animals, for dogs in uh, our local animal shelter. So yeah. it's a little bit about me. It's not all of it, but I think the highlights. Yeah. So you, the daughter that you adopted uh, from foster care, how old was she when, when, um, you, when you adopted her? So she actually was placed with us at three days old. So right from the hospital and uh, her adoption was finalized uh, when she was two years and one month. So two years, one month in foster care and, um, and then it finalized. Yeah. yeah. Two years. Sorry, just to be clear, two years with you. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Two years with yeah. us. Um, but that's how long it took to go through the, wow. the whole process of, where they're going to be. There were, you know, meets in the beginning, scheduled meets with um, bio mom, and then those weren't happening. So then they were, you know, staggered out further. Then it was the search for additional family that might be out there um, that might want to adopt. Um, you know, so it was very much a, you know, kind of on edge for at least yeah. the first, I would say first year to 18 months. Um, after, after 18 months, we were fairly, you know, certain as certain as I guess you could be before a judgment is made that, uh, her adoption would take place and would be finalized. But leading up to that, you know, it was, it was, it was scary for us because yeah. there wasn't, 
because the, her plan was a dual, and right from the start, it was a dual plan of reunification and, and uh, adoption. Wow. So uh, how did you get through that scary time? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, I, I really don't know. That's a, that's a great question. I was definitely nervous. I remember um, I would join what we have here called the Child Placement Review Board, I would join those calls um, to listen in on and to be able, you know, I was able to share just a very tiny bit of my own uh, perspective on, on, on her case, which was interesting considering I was the person taking care of her. Right? <laughs> That's I mean, a nice way like, of putting Danielle. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, they, they said, well, you can call in and I, and I was able to speak for a couple of minutes. We were also able to go to court. Um, we weren't allowed in the courtroom again, kind of, odd that we were the caregivers, but we could speak briefly to the judge prior to, um, prior to any hearings. And uh, I think that I just tried really hard to just focus on being her mom and less on, you know, what this outcome might be. And I, I, I really do think that's kind of how we got through this is we didn't think too long or too deeply about what would happen if you know, she was taken from us, especially as it got further, you know, further along in the process. I mean, you know, of course, you know, if, if reunification had been a viable positive option for her, especially in the beginning, you know, we would have supported that and we would have done our best. We had foster children before Mia. So uh, we had foster kids who were reunified. So it wasn't that we were against that by any means, but, you know, I think we just, wanted to give her the best possible, most loving, normal life yeah. that we could. And, and what did you learn about yourself through that time? You know, I think that um, just overall for me becoming a mom, like the first time they handed me a child when we became foster parents, I realized just how, just how much I could love, I think. Is, is what I learned the most, is, is just my capacity to love somebody else. Um, I don't think there's any love like the love of a parent, you know, when you really are in it. And, um, you know, I, I never thought that growing up, I wasn't one of those people who thought, oh, I can't wait to get married and have kids. I was more like, can't wait, I'm going to be a writer and would be super rich, <laughs> which my dad used to tell me made no sense. He was like, you're going to be one or the other, a writer or super rich. Yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah, you're I, J.K. Rowling or something. Exactly, like right? Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. And, and um, I, you know, I, I was really surprised by just the instantaneous love too, you know, just your capacity to instantly fall in love was pretty amazing. And just that, you know, that protectiveness came out in me. Like I, that mama bear term is a real thing. You know, you suddenly would do anything and everything to protect this other life. And, and even though these weren't my biological children, these weren't, you know, kids I had prepared for, or, you know, grown in my own body, I instantly felt like they were mine to take care of and protect and just do whatever I could. And, and it made me just so much stronger. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. Um, I, I've got a theory on, I've got a theory on this. Well, it's not my theory, actually. It's, it's my experience rather than my theory, but it's counter to what most people think. Right. So 
I think, you know, I asked that question, how did you get through this scary time? Because it must have been like, you know, you, you bonded with her instantly, got it, you know, taking her from the hospital at, at three. Uh, oh, I said taking her from the hospital. It's like, you, it was I didn't like take her. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't that, you know, yeah. about three days old. Um, but uh, and so you, you bonded with her instantly. And I know that, you know, that sometimes... I've I've read quite a lot about mums not having some mums not having that feeling instantaneous mm -hmm. and then being uh, then be, feeling guilty and worried that they haven't had that thing. So um, if that's one of you listeners, you know every experience is different. Right? Um, so I asked you the question: How did you get through that tricky time? And you and you didn't and you said, "Well, I'm not sure. I don't know how we get it." I I think what happens when we face tricky stuff like that is it reveals our strength, right? So there's two ways. Um, most people think that uh, strength is built like going to the gym. But so, so if, we, if, if it is, if, if strength is built and resilience is built, then we look outside ourselves for it. Um, there's, uh, so we're looking outside, there's a, there's a, there's a huge delay because it's a process of becoming stronger, um, we are we feel disempowered because we're we're not we're not powerful yet. Um, we have to be patient. We have to stick at it. Da, 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 da. It's a long process, right? I don't think it's like that. I, I think what what happens is the strength that we always had, but um, we didn't appreciate, is kind of revealed to us, and. And, and that's why we don't really know what's happened because we're kind of like we're used to processes, you know. Right. Um, anyway, that's kind of that's my experience, and uh, in in a long form, in a but when it came to me as as an insight five and a half years ago when my dad was uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I remember driving home, driving my mum and my sister home from the hospital. Um, my dad was staying in the hospital after we just had the meeting with the consultant who told us, gave us this news, right? Because he didn't, he, he didn't want my dad to tell us. He wanted to tell us so that he could answer our questions. And so I didn't realise it was going to be. I hadn't seen this 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 diagnosis coming, but I remember getting to um, a traffic light, or I think you call them stoplights, do you? Call them? Traffic light's good. Uh, traffic light's good. <laughs> um, we were talking about Cheetos before. Um, we started <laughs> how to how to say glitter. And I say, are they American? Yeah. Okay. Um, so we so I was at a traffic light, uh, and uh, and a little voice in in my head said to me, "You can handle this, Simon. You can get through this." And normally the little voice in my head says negative things to me, right? <laughs> Same. <laughs> not, yeah. not strong things to me. <laughs> right. But, but th that was a kind of like, an, uh, for me, that, that, that was an embodied, that was an embodied, embodied experience. Uh, it was an insight that came to me, an aha moment, an epiphany, whatever you can, like the little, the little voice that says that you can, you know? And, 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 th and the reason I'm laboring that is because I used to think, strength came from outside and if if you're looking in the wrong place if we're looking in the wrong place and i'm talking to the to the listeners 
really, I think, rather than, and, and, and you as well, but if, we, if we're looking outside ourselves for the strength, um, then we're looking in the wrong place and we're never going to find it because feelings like feeling strong and feeling resilient and uh, our ability to cope without coping strategies. Everybody's looking for coping strategies. Mm -hmm. like, I didn't have a coping strategy. I didn't, I, I didn't, I, I didn't look at myself in the, um, the rear view mirror of the car at that traffic and say, Simon, you can do this. Go get him, Tiger. Da, da, da. You need to be strong for your, your, your mum and your dad. Your dad doesn't want to be upset about it. You need to be strong for your little sister. I didn't do it like that. It was some sort of affirmation. It was a kind of like a realisation. Um, and I feel like I'm labouring the point a little bit. Does that, does that make any sense to you at all? Yeah, I think it makes total sense. And I, and I think that, you know, more often than not, that is how it works. You know, I think we just instinctively respond when when we're put in a situation that you otherwise couldn't have imagined right I think that's to me the the like you said this was not something that you were expecting and you know uh, you know in in my situation with Mia you know I wasn't expecting to be this instantly connected and in love and wanting to protect this little human and so, you know, that fear of what, what would happen, I think just, I didn't allow my, my, I didn't allow, like my, my brain did not allow me to go to that place. It protected me. And I think that our brains are pretty powerful things in doing that. Right. I mean, we kind of feel the stuff maybe a little bit later when we've gotten through it. Um, my husband had a massive heart attack two years ago, almost two years ago. And it was a very similar kind of reaction. Like, um, oh my God, like I'm sitting here, he's, I'm watching him, he's on a table and he's coding and we have these two kids and like, how will I get through this? How will I go tell them? And it just sort of kicks in this, this feeling, this knowing, I should say, it's not a feeling, it's a knowing, right? A sudden yeah. knowing that you can, you will, you will get through this, whatever, you know, and you don't even, and like you said, it's not about, I think, trying to find the how, well, I'll meditate, well, I'll call my friends, well, I'll make sure to take a walk, well, I'll make sure to, like, you know, it, it really is more of just a trust in your own ability to, to that you know, and, and trusting that knowing, just not questioning it. And, you know, I think, obviously, too, in, in, in crisis, you don't really have time to, yeah. <laughs> to question it too much, you're just like getting going with emotions. But, but I, 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 I completely agree, I think, there's a lot inside of, there's a lot more inside of us than I think most of us realize that there's that saying that goes around uh, the internet very often in lots of beautifully colored memes. You know, you never know how strong you are until you have to be something like that. But yeah. I believe that. Yeah. It's uh, fascinating for me because as you were talking, I was thinking about um, uh, heart overhead, right? The, the love, you know, your heart being stronger than your brain. Um, so I was going to go there. And then you said about your, <laughs> your husband My having husband a heart attack. attack. Yeah. Right? I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure whether that's the right thing, but, you know. It, it, he's you okay. Know, he's, he's okay. Here. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was only 45. So it was, you know, and it was sudden. It, there was nothing leading up to it. So, um, but he is, he's good. You know, I always find it interesting when people talk about like the heart, and the brain, because it really is just the brain. Right? <laughs> I mean, I know what you're saying, but that's where all the, it, 
I mean, I, I think so. Right. I mean, it's mm. all the fee as much as I am like a very, um, I, I'm very much believe in, you know, the power of love and all that. I still think it comes from, from the, from your thoughts. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. I've got a slightly different take on that. But, uh, let me, let me uh, I heard uh, uh, like uh, <clears throat> some really scientific guy talking about this stuff. Uh, and he was talking about um, left brain versus right brain. Mm -hmm. And essentially, uh, you, you know, you said you wanted to be a writer when you told your dad you wanted to be a writer and made loads of money when you grow up. Um, that, that creativity side, that, that, that that um that uh it, the creativity the intuition the um the the imagination the gut feeling the imagination yeah all that sort of stuff is is kind of like is 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 right brain isn't it and and left brain is the um that's the the, nar the narrator the inner critic um and uh, the the voice in my head that says that we can't do stuff uh and that's the one that we're not born with that are we because like you know like kid kids kids will play with stuff this I, I heard this from a friend of mine who's got kids he's like you know you you um you you spend all this money on christmas presents right and and the kids want to play play with the boxes and the rack yeah yeah um and so that that uh that that sort of exploration and, and playful side that kind of right hand brain side is it is seems to be innate, whereas the left hand side of the brain, the the rationalization stuff, that always that that's something that's learned. We learn that we learn that from the world around us. We learn to be we learn to be afraid uh, from the world uh, from the world around us. And the I, the story that always pops into my head when I get anywhere near this is the is the child that falls over in the in the streets that just trips. Right, I'm not talking about tripping on the road i'm talking about in a you know a, a, in an area of no danger the child so running down the ramp to the swimming pool right there's no there's no um, cars that are going to mow her over or anything like that but she she falls down and i saw this happen she she falls down and um she's she's okay and then she sees the look of uh, anguish and scare <laughs> and mm -hmm. fear on her mother's face and she learns, uh, and then she starts crying because she realizes that her mum's upset, and it rubs off on her, and and she learns that, yeah, she learns that fear of the world. Yeah, it's yeah. I I, I mean, I do. Uh, so when I what I'm really saying is like that the, your heart as an organ doesn't produce okay. <laughs> feeling. It's, I I am I completely agree. There are obviously two sides of our brains. One you know. Uh, one, you know, that is, I, and I agree with you, I think very innately, you know, it, it has a set of, a set of operations. And then the other is very much learned and, and interesting. Have you read the book, What Happened to You? Uh, no, I was talking about yesterday, actually, oh. worth reading, yeah. So yes, so this read is, it. Um, Bruce uh, Perry, Dr. Bruce, Bruce Perry, and, um, and Oprah. And Oprah, yeah. Yes. So, um, very it's a very good read um it is very much about this idea not idea but the the study of how we learn response to you know to trauma and everybody has trauma so so the 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 what happened to you the title is is basically the theme throughout the book is that we should all be 
approaching every situation and every person, uh, not with what is wrong with you or why are you like this, but what happened to you? Because it is those things that happen to you that are forming your reaction and they show up that shows up in so many areas of your life, how you respond to good and bad things. So if chaos, and and I very much had, you know, a a fairly unstable childhood, if you, if, if that is your normal, then that is where you're more comfortable. That's where your brain has, you know, said, this is, this is what family looks like, or this is what safety, even though it's not looks like, or this is what safety doesn't look like. And so you're always kind of on edge and things as as little as smells and sounds can prompt this feeling to protect or to not trust. And, you know, if we were to approach people that way, that there would be a lot more understanding in the world rather than just everybody's, you know, looking at somebody and saying like, well, what's wrong with you? Or why can't you get over this? Or why are you so afraid to do this? Instead, you know, exploring what happened to you and trying to get to the root of it, because there's also this very cool thing that I did a while back. um, And I'm going to get it wrong what it's called, but it's essentially um, changing your memories, or at least what feelings your memories invoke. So it is a process by which and it's like, both physical and and mental and emotional. It's uh, going back to things that make you feel awkward and uncomfortable and painful and revisiting and reliving them and taking out the pieces or kind of dissecting the pieces that hurt and replacing them with what might have happened that might've been good. And it actually, the more you do it, does in fact change the way your brain recalls that and the feeling you get. So it changes your reaction. So I know maybe I got a little too deep in that, but I love it because I think that it's something that everybody can use because at the end of the day, we've all experienced some type of trauma, you know, somewhere on that spectrum of trauma. What was it? What was it called? The process that you went through? I don't know. You're going (laughs) to, we're going to have to Google it. Um, So I I met with a woman, she's not a doctor. um, And she did point me to a study by MIT Uh, And there's a, a, I believe she was a German uh, scientist that presented this at a conference. I'm pretty sure it was an MIT uh, um, uh, professor. And it was about, can you, and if I think if you just Google, like, can you change your memories? And it is, uh, it is a process by which you go back, remember, and it's not hypnosis, but you go back, you remember it. They, the person who is guiding you talks you through, stops you at certain points. You're, I mean, it's very, very emotional. And they, you know, they ask you to explain the feeling, look around the room. What do you remember? And then it really is like taking different pieces of that memory and then saying, well, I want you to kind of go back there. And what if that particular piece hadn't been there? Or what if the way you perceived this was not the reality. What if that person was also scared? You know, so it's, it's very interesting and very deep, but, um, but I like that idea that there is a way to use that right side of your brain to, to, to correct these, or I shouldn't say correct, but to change them so that you can deal with them better. And then you can deal with things that remind you of those, of those same painful feelings or memories in a, in a better way in a more in a healthier way fascinating i I was talking to my uh 
coach this morning. Um, and I used to speak to her all the time, but now I, I speak to her uh, less. But I actually went through a similar-ish process with her and uh, and her, her partner and, and uh, another five or six people about 13 years ago, where we, we share our story. Um, uh, and then we... We, we, it is, we, we, share, we share our story as in how we felt during our lives, the events in our lives and, and how that. Uh, and, and then we realized that that, that kind of, that left-hand brain, that um, narrator, uh, sorry, the left-hand side of the brain, the, the rational, the narrator, the commentator, the negative voice in our head is the one that tells the story and and essentially we are not our story we're not choosing um we're not choosing our thoughts we're not choosing our feelings we're not choosing how we see ourselves we're not you know what we're not choosing our self-image all this is essentially well the metaphor for this is um is the script so it's it's psychologists would call it conditioning so we pick up mm. you know from, from what uh, our, our we pick up our parents script you know we pick up what our, our kids uh, our parents think and they pick it up from that um and we pick up what the kids at school say to us like the bullies that say that we're not good enough because you know I got bullied for all sorts of different reasons but having buck teeth looking like bugs bunny also for um, and we pick up all that you know like um I, I always uh, I use a, fr a frivolous one, right? I'm no good at DIY because I, I remember doing woodwork when I was 12 and, and Mike, this friend of mine, Mike Brown, um, finished my woodwork stall and I've never gone nearer anything to do with DIY ever since, right? So it, it, there's some silly stuff, but there's also some, also some serious stuff. If people want to check this, uh, there's, this coach lady um, has a book out. Uh, well, she had a book out uh, 10, 15 years ago. She's called Elizabeth Ivory. Uh, and it's called um, uh, it's not your fault right so it's not your fault because you're not choosing you're not choosing how you see yourself you're not choosing how you're not choosing what you think and you're not choosing how you feel it's all a program um, it's it's your operating system that you have inherited from the world around you uh, so it's uh, it's fascinating that you're talking about changing your memories um, this is about kind of realizing that your memories aren't true. Yes, this is very much the same thing. So, oh. so, so if you, um, so, so if you listen to the presentation that's given by, uh, like I said, I believe that it's a a, a German professor uh, professor at, at this conference, and it's a I'm pretty sure it's MIT. That is that is the 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 premise is that you know this is what you believe to be true right? Like you, your mind is telling you that this is true. And so the, the idea behind these exercises is to change that belief that what you've always thought was true. So, you know, let's say in a, in a situation you were left feeling really ashamed and, um, you know, unwanted that that was, that that is something that you can essentially change, that you can remember that differently and you can train your brain to remember that, to recall that, because a lot of it is your recall. It's a lot about you seeing something. It could be seeing, smelling, any sense. 
and it reminding you of something else that triggers this feeling. And if you could change that response to that previous stimulus, right, then it's different when you see it again. And and it's interesting. It's yeah, it's fascinating stuff. This is my pet subject. So we'll just talk about this. Yeah, I was going to say I could I I so I had a I, you know, was, was one of these parents who said, you know, I'm going to get emotional. I'm like so easily a crier. So uh, I, I was one of these parents who said, I will never let my children feel the way I felt as a child. Um, I will be completely available. I will always, you know, uh, let them be who they are. I will not shoot down their, you know, ideas and dreams and, I won't ever let them be afraid to be in their own home. You know, all these things that, you know, that I, that I felt and in, in various ways growing up. And the other day, my daughters had expressed something at a, at my birthday dinner, actually to their aunts. Um, And my daughters are now 14. And I, I was so taken aback because they, it was something that, they were fearful of something that had made them uncomfortable that happened. And, and I thought to myself, you know, we can, you cannot predict some, how somebody else is going to perceive and take something in. You, you can't really control that as much as you love, as much as you protect, it is an individual thing, you know, how you see the world around you, how you take, and, and again, I don't know how, you know, they both grew up in the same place, but it was just, it was really eye-opening to me that, you know, I'm thinking I've done all these things to shield them from those feelings. And you really can't completely shut those feelings out, you know, those responses. Well, And and that's a scary thing as a parent, I think. So I don't know if I told you last. I think I did because we're talking about dogs. You're talking about the pet, uh, the the rescue thing. Yeah. So we've got we've got me and my wife have got two dogs and two pigs. So I am not qualified to talk about this stuff at all, really, in terms of how parents uh, think about it. Other than by saying what other people do, um, the this coach lady, um, Liz, who wrote the book, and there will be a link in the in the notes i can't remember i said that link in the show notes if you want to check it yeah uh our opening conversation every time i speak to her is uh, she says how have you been and i say up and down and she says me too um is isn't that great or what did she say me too Welcome to the human race, right? So the central premise is, right, if you're, this is, right, I'm just going to slow this right down. If you're okay with not being okay, you're always okay. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's one thing. Now, that sounds really, really like glib and stuff, but, you know, like, What we resist persists. So if we're resisting a feeling, I can't bear to feel this way, that actually locks it in place. 
Uh, and you know, if we're trying to change, uh, if we're trying to change a feeling, if we're not happy with, you know, I used to worry about worrying, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so it becomes like um, a, a snowball of worry. You know, like you, you when you, I, I, I talk about the trauma ball, right? So it's like a snowball. Uh, because you have some, you're up in New Jersey, if I remember rightly. So you, 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 yes. you get some, you get some cold weather. We get out. some snow, yeah. Snow, right. So you know, like you scoop up, you, you scoop up some. Um, you scoop, scoop, when you're a kid, when you not when you're a, a sassy, a fourteen year old girl, I'm sure. But you know, when you when you when you're a ten year old lad like me, um, I'm fifty five now. But you know, like you, you, so you're going out for a snowball fight. It's it, it's it's the done thing. You have a snowball fight with the, the school next door, right? Or you meet in neutral territory, like a field, and have a snowball fight. So you scoop up this snow in, in between your palms. And you make it into a little in, into a uh, into a little sphere, like a, and, and then you kind of like roll it along the ground. Um, if you're making a snowman, uh, and um, it just gets. If you're not, if you if you're making a snowman rather than snowballing, I'm getting my metaphors mixed up here. Um, it just gets bigger and bigger. The worry, so you worry about worrying. So you worry, then you worry about worrying, then you worry about worrying about worrying. Then the voice in your head says, Simon, you've been on all these courses. Why are you still worrying about worrying? You really should be able to come. And, and it just the, the 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 worry ball, the trauma ball, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until. You bring it out into the open. You discuss it with a friend. You discuss it with somebody like Liz or you know one of these um, more enlightened people, shall we say? You bring it out into the open, and it's like um, it's it's like bringing an industrial heater to this snowball that you've the base of the snow person, not snowman, the um, gender liquid, gender fluid snow person, right? Um, and 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 it disappears it, it just well it, it shrinks doesn't it, it don't, don't, the, the trauma the worry ball it, 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 it shrinks and then it's let you're left with a a, um, a pool of water and you keep the heating on it keep talking about it keep joshing away and it and it vaporizes and there's nothing there but yeah if we're okay with not being okay we're always okay yeah, I think that's, I mean, it is, it does sound very simple, but I do, I do, you know, I, I think that's, that's true. And it's what I, what I try to tell my daughters and, and, you know, that, that particular moment the other night, um, I think that there was that dual sort of feeling like the one of like that instant worry, what have I done wrong here to, to not have. And then there was the, and I, and somebody actually said this to me, um, but it's so wonderful that they felt comfortable enough to share that feeling. And now it's out there. Right. And so now, like you said, we've talked about it and we'll keep talking about it. And, and I, I do think that that is a lot of what happens to those of us who hold on to things, right. It's like, we're our own worst enemy. We are, we are feeding the, the very thing that we hate the most. Yeah. And, and I am very much like you, I worry and I worry and I worry and then I worry and I'm worrying. And then, you know, it, and it does become, but I have found that talking to a variety of different people. So like, I, I do still see, you know, a bunch of different people. So I had a coach for some time and a business coach 
um, I had this wonderful person who, you know, walked me through this memory exercise and um, I have a whole team of people. And then of course, you know, there's friends and my husband and, um, but I do agree. I think, you know, we've got to, we've got to talk about the things that are festering because otherwise you're keep, they are, they're just, they're just in there getting bigger. Um, and it, and it might be like difficult to hear or to say at first, but it gets easier, you know, it gets easier. It gets less uncomfortable. The more we can say the things we need to say. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you talked about, um, uh, you talked about adoption trauma uses, sorry, you use it. Um, what did you say? The trauma of foster care. That's what you yes. started the conversation. So, um, how does, what does that look like? And, and how does that feel bringing that out into the, into the, into the open to look at that and to discuss that? Um, I mean, in regards to my own experience or the organization? As, as, I mean, we've been talking mostly about, we've been talking about, well, we're talking about you, I've been talking about us, <laughs> and I, 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 I've been talking about me, because it starts with us, doesn't it? Right? I, I, I had a, a lady on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and um, a couple of months ago, and she's... She supports adopted parents and she's a TBRI practitioner and highly um, educated, informed, very savvy uh, adopted parents go to her and they know what she's about because it's obvious from the website. And yet they still go to her and they say, essentially, fix my kid. So, you know, bringing back, taking you back to the, what you mentioned about Bruce Paris, you know, n- not what's wrong with you, what, right. what's, broke, what's broken about you, it's not what right. happened to you, but they're also making, so that's, so they're, they're off, should we say, I mean, I was going to say wrong, but that sounds a bit judgmental, isn't it? They're, they're, they're off from that perspective, but they're, one of the biggest things that I've learned from doing the podcast, talking to adoptive mums, um, is is when um, a lady called Holly and Petrie, who's an adoptive mum, foster adoptive mum, eight or nine kids, runs an agency. She said she came up with the title for her podcast, and it was "Unpacking Our Own Baggage as Adoptive Parents." It's all about us. You know, it, I, I can't change my wife, for example. I can, I can, I can change me. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's, it, it starts with us and how we view our kid, how we view ourselves, um, how we view our own childhoods. You know, the memories that we got from that, and how we, uh, you know, how we view our kids. But our own, you know, emotional intelligence starts with. I before it goes to you, doesn't it? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, I think that when it comes to our situation, um, especially with my daughter in particular, because she's been with us the entire time, I think the, the thing that we try to do most is to just be really open 
really, really open about even what we're afraid of or even what we, so sometimes I think, you know, to your point about it, starting with us, we're projecting our own fears of what they might be thinking or feeling because that's what we're thinking or feeling about the situation. So to make it more concrete. So my daughter um, is black. Uh, my adopted daughter is black and my biological daughter is white and my, me and my husband are white. And um, that in and of itself is a whole nother, um, a whole nother thing that, you know, we didn't set out to and say, well, let's adopt a black child. We just said, let's adopt a child, right? And let's foster. And we fostered children of all races. And, you know, there are times I catch myself thinking more about her race than I think she even does. You know, I walk into a room and kind of scan it, like, are there enough black people here or diverse people here? Um, is there enough uh, is she is she ex experiencing her culture enough? Or there enough? Is there enough? Um, do I know enough about her hair, her skin? Which you know, I was, I did do research. I did listen and learn. But I think that as she's gotten older, what I've come, what I've become okay with, is that I'm going to screw this up a little bit <laughs> because we all are, right? Um, but if I am doing it openly. And I am trying to be quiet and listen and not project so much of my own fear of what this might look like for her. And I think that maybe goes for, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily a trauma, but I think it, it is, it's, it, I, I can't imagine what it would, what it, what life looks like for her from, from her perspective. I think that any, any situation like this, if we, if we are approaching it, instead of like, this is wrong or broken or it needs to be fixed, but instead moment by moment, let's talk about it if you need to or want to, and I'm gonna talk about it and be okay with the fact that I might say something really stupid, but be okay with the fact that that might be stupid. And we, but we keep that open. It's, it all goes back to, I think what you said about not holding things in. One of, I think the, the biggest, you know, things that hurts us is when we just don't say the things that we want to say because we're afraid they're the wrong thing. But I almost feel like nothing is the wrong thing except not saying anything. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's what I think is the wrong thing. So we have very, you know, since Mia was a very little baby, have been very aware of the fact that her experience would be different, you know, in, in a, for so many reasons. But that, you know, it also might not be, and it might be us overthinking it. And so, you know, we just check in um, at times where we think, you know, something might need to be discussed. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes she looks at me like I'm crazy. You know, <laughs> like um, there was actually, you know, this I think is a, is a good point. And I know this isn't necessarily answering your question about trauma, but I think that as an adoptive parent, this is and a lot of, you know, there are a lot of uh, interracial, um, transracial adoptions um, that there was somebody who had, who had said to me, you know, maybe, you know, Mia would feel more comfortable going to another uh, black woman to do her hair rather than you. I've been doing her hair since she was a baby. Um, you know, it, it might be more comfortable for her. And, you know, so, oh, actually so someone didn't say it. I read it in a book. 
um, and it was called, I'm not going to say the book because I don't agree with it. And then I don't want to, <laughs> but anyway, so I read it in a book and then I, you know, started panicking, of course, like, oh my God, have I been making her feel inadequate and whatever this whole time. And I said to her, you know, Mia, if you want, I can find a hairdresser, like, you know, a, a black hairdresser to do your hair. I, I don't want you to like be uncomfortable that I'm like touching your hair. And she's like, what? You're my mother. And she's like, I don't want a stranger touching my hair. You know? And it's like, that is, you know, that was that one. Right. So that was my worry and my fear that was, you know, and it, and it's a good thing. I said it instead of just going out and believing what I was reading and then forcing that on her and then her maybe then feeling guilty that I did this nice thing for her. And so she had to go along with it. You know, it's like, like you said, a kind of a snowball. And so instead I just said it. And I think that, you know, that's, that's something that we overall need to do more of is just say the thing that you want to say. And I'd rather say something and sound like an idiot or be, be wrong or be, you know, sort of inappropriate than not say anything and carry that and carry that assumption with me because it very well may not be right. And it's better to just work it out. So your, your openness your your openness is being your your daughter's openness is a result of you being open. So you're modeling this stuff is the jargon word, isn't it? Because what the what do they say? People kids do what we do, not what we say. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a funny story about this. I haven't mentioned it for a while on the podcast. So I just want to share this one with you, right? So uh we're going back to 19. 19- the 1948 right so my dad's 10 uh, and um my granddad catches him smoking okay so um my and he's been told no this isn't this isn't what you do right so my granddad puts him different times okay 1948 my granddad puts my dad over his knee and smacks him on the bum or whatever uh whilst smoking a cigarette <laughs> and um yeah kids kids do what we kids what we do um do what we do and on the flip side of that on the flip side of that is i can go i, I can go really woo woo and um and uh, uh and quote uh Gan- my only quote i know from gandhi which is be the change that you want to see in the world. So, you know, it works both ways. You know, it can work a, a very inappropriate smoking stories from the last century <laughs> or, or Gandhi. Um, but modeling is what it's all about. We're kind of like, we go, go in with our um, instinct, raising this stuff up, um, not being afraid to get stuff wrong. You know, what do you say, failing forward? You know, all that sort yeah. of stuff. And yeah. that, 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 isn't that what we want for, for our, our kids? So, Yeah, I think that it, why wouldn't we want to just give it a shot, right? I feel like so much of what festers and gets bigger than it needs to be is a bunch of people believing their own stories, right? Or believing your own thoughts. Like you said, you have these thoughts that are yours 
And sometimes you make them someone else's. You're, well, I know they're thinking this. And then you don't ever say it. You never bring it up. And then it becomes your truth. And so you spend all this time convinced about something that very well might not be happening or very well may not be true just for the fear of saying it out loud. And I don't know, being proven right or wrong. What are you more afraid of? But I think regardless, it's better to just say it. And I've said this so many times because there's when you have a child of a different race, people are very awkward around you, no matter what. I mean, for even the ones close to you will say and do things. And I, and I'm almost more, um, I'm almost more appreciative of the people who say the really dumb things because at least they said it and then we could talk about it and I don't shame them for it. You know, I'm not going to make you feel bad or like a jerk, but, um, but I do think that it's better that you said it than, you know, giving me some weird like nod or go and say it to somebody else. You know, it's, we are an uncomfortable species. I mean, we are a weird, we all, you know, we're just a weird bunch and why not just get it out and talk about it instead of letting it fester. And I think that's so important for young people, especially in this day of social media being so powerful because it's so present in their lives. And a lot of it is phony and a lot of it is um, manufactured and, you know, image-based, right? So we're all, we're trying to look our best, do our best, say our best, sound our best. Wouldn't it just be so much better if people were fumbling through a little bit more? Um, because, because that's, that's more reality. And that makes people, I think, feel more comfortable. Yeah. Um, we are fumbling through. That's the yeah. truth. We're, we're fumbling Everybody. through or, or we're going with instinct. And, and I, I see such uh, strange, I, I see such strange parallels between the worlds of parenting and business, right? So um, the savvy salesperson uh, realizes uh, that uh, business pe people and parents don't know what to do, right? So um, they they tell them that they tell them that there's a formula. And this is all over the internet, every single one, which, and it's, it's the same. It, 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 once, once, you've, once you've heard this, right? And when, once somebody told me this, uh, I, I just, I, I, I see it all the time, right? So there's a, there's a, there's a large positive headline and then there's a, um, about getting what you want in, in business or, 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 or having the kids that you want or the family life. Like there's a large positive headline. And, and then the first paragraph is all about saying that um, we were in the position that our potential client was in. Um, so that's the empathy build. Uh, and, and we struggled. And then we found out the X, Y, Z, the three steps to this or four steps to that. And these are available to us, if only for, if we are just part with X, dollars or pounds and then there's loads of testimonials or something and it all preys on our and it all preys on our insecurity our insecurity our impatience um and our desire to to um raise the kids that we want create the business that we want whatever it is create the abs that we want you know lose get bikini ready before beach time or <laughs> 
you know, for me, how to love, you know, to how how fifty five year old blokes can get rid of love handles. It's it's all the same thing, and everybody uses the same. And, and I've been I've been to courses on this stuff, and it's a process. They sell it as a process, and the whole world, the whole internet world, is fine. but it's all down to they people pick up on our insecurities, and they tell us that there is the steps, and if we follow them, that's going to work. And it's complete rubbish. We are fumbling. We're going from instinct and fumbling, trial and error. And in, in every area of our lives. And if and I'm overcooking this a little bit because nobody's talking about this. Nobody's, nobody's, nobody's questioning the thing. Every, we're, everybody's just suckered into the solution on a plate for $1.99 a month or whatever. Well, there's a similar, um, you know, a formula or, you know, philosophy, I guess. So I started my career in marketing prior to starting One Simple Wish. Um, I was actually working on building loyalty programs for cosmeceutical companies here in the U.S. So Botox was my biggest client. And, uh, you know, the whole premise of it was, you know, figure out insecurities, right? How do we address that? And then make it the everybody's doing it. So the 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 sort of philosophy behind what you know marketing anything was that there are these these general things that all adults um, want or feel, and that is they want to be cool, they want to be like everyone else and fit in, and they want to be first or better, right? So. They, these, these are pretty basic things that you can go back to like really little kids on a playground. Right. Um, and they build up as you get older and it's all rooted in insecurity. And, you know, it was, it was very difficult for me because I was doing this work. I was building these programs around loyalty to disliking your appearance. <laughs> Right. Because it couldn't be that you did it once and you fixed it because now the business is gone. Right. Yeah, like, you need a monthly subscription. Fee. Exactly. You need to you need to it needs to do just enough to make you fit in again and feel good and feel cool and first and better. But it can't last too long because yeah. we need you to do it again. And so here is, you know, a coupon, because if you bring a friend they're going to get it for free and you're going to get a discount. And so why not do it again? Right. So there, so, so imagine, you know, I'm, I'm in this very much in this at the time when I also then become a foster parent and I see this just awful system that is, I think broken in a, a million ways. One of the biggest ones being that, you know, we focus a lot on the after fixing the after instead of fixing the, the current, right? Like we don't go into homes and say, let's, let's go to root cause and see if we can keep this family together. Instead, we say, let's pull the kids out and put you with a bunch of strangers and figure it out there. Um, the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning about this system and then I'm doing this work and it's actually somewhat how, when I went on maternity leave, I decided how I crafted one simple wish was what if instead we took that concept and we made it about loving more and more joy and getting you addicted to that, because that's actually helpful and getting you out of, so building loyalty, right? That's what we're, we want. We want you to grant a wish and feel so good about it 
that you come and do it again because what you're doing is good for you and it's good for the person you're helping. And that again is like sort of another truth about donating, right? Is like, or, or volunteering. It's a very selfish act for most people. It is not always a bad, and that's okay. You know, and, and there you go, right? It's okay. You shouldn't have to pretend like, oh no, I'm just a selfless. People say that to me all the time. You're one of the most selfless people I know. And I was like, you don't think I get a ton out of this? I get to literally see every day people who have struggled to find moments of joy get an instant moment of joy for exactly what they asked for. Not some crap that I said, here's a bunch of free stuff someone gave me. Do you want it? But literally the thing that they specifically asked for. So it is, you know, it is very much that loyalty concept that marketing is very much rooted in what we do, but in a good way, not in the gross way I felt before. <laughs> you know, I'd come home and kind of feel like, oh, I should got to wash the you know, I'm going to wash this off me because here I am knowing about all this, you know, pain and, 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 and hurt. And I'm out here just asking people to get rid of more wrinkles. Like, and, and if anybody's listening and you got Botox, I'm not judging you. That's your, that's your thing, but it, you know, it wasn't mine. And, uh, and I, and I think that, you know, it's, it's better that we use those truths to do something good with them. And you can, because they are what they are. We are who we are. And yeah. pretending like it's anything else, I think, is just a waste of time. So how does that kind of fit into how you, you're raising new girls? Um, so <laughs> I, I, I think I am trying to teach my girls, or I shouldn't say teach, because I do very much agree with you, right? To show them that also being imperfect and I, I have friends who hide from their kids any moment of sadness or grief or self-hatred or fear. I don't want my kids to see that. I want my kids to see all of it because I don't want my kids to then feel those things and think, oh, well, my perfect mom over here never feels that way. She doesn't cry. People don't hurt her feelings. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't ever feel not good enough. She doesn't ever mess up. I think, you know, boldly being wrong, <laughs> boldly being awkward and, you know, of course at the right time, right? I mean, I'm not suggesting that you tell your five-year-old everything, you know, there's a time and a place and an age and all that maturity level. So it shouldn't even be age, right? Some kids mature faster than others. Wait till I, seven, wait till seven years and two months. That's, that's the golden time, apparently. No, I'm joking. Right, that's, that's right. No, there's, right, there's not. So, so I, you know, I have tried this entire time, this entire last, you know, 15 and a half years that I've been a parent because, you know, we had children before my girls to just be as much myself in all the ways that it is good and bad as I can and to be open about that I know they're good and bad. I curse like a sailor. It is horrible. And oftentimes people will say to me, you know, oh, you're so, you're just such a nice person. Is there anything like you don't do that's good? And I'm like, I have like the worst mouth. And I always have. I don't hide that from my kids, but I explain to them that it's not my best quality. It's not something I'm super proud of. And also there's a time and a place. I don't walk into the grocery store dropping F-bombs, you know? Um, but it is the way I express myself. And, and I, and I think that that has been 
I hope that has been good for them, not the cursing, but the openness to just be who you are somewhat, somewhat unapologetically. So there are people who will say, be who you are, no apologies, no explanations, right? I don't necessarily agree with that because I think that leaves zero room for improvement and and just kind of gives you carte blanche to be a total, I'd say a bad word, but a total bad person, right? I don't think you should do that. I think you should you should acknowledge that the things that you are doing may not be the best of you. It doesn't necessarily mean that like you're going to fix them or that when you've tried to fix them, they haven't worked. Like let's say, for example, the, the spanking and the cigarette, right? Yes, it is a it is an interesting way to reprimand, don't smoke, and then here I am smoking. But I think, you know, what if you acknowledge, I know this is bad for me, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, and, and yes, they're going to do what they see. But I also think that, you know, that truth, that that openness, like not that you you think it's good for you, but not for them. It's not good for anybody. I know what I'm doing isn't good, you know, and and I don't know. I'm I know I'm rambling a bit, but I have I have very much tried to instill in my girls that and I hope I've done it. And, you know, I think I see in little ways that I have in the way that they respond to others that the best I think you can do is be who you are, acknowledge when you've screwed up, that's okay. Be sincere in that acknowledgement to that person or that group and try to do a little bit better next time. And even, and if you mess up again, also okay. It's when you're just intentionally messing up over and over again that I think it's a problem. (laughs) You know, um, yeah, we've, uh, I, I've seen so many different variations of and read so many different variations of childhood and what it can be in a positive way and what it can be in a negative way over the course of the last 14 years running this organization and, and, and you know, the interactions that we've had. And I really still believe that it all comes down to moments and there is no, nothing is, per, nothing is perfect overall. It is all about the moment. And, you know, just recently I write, I write a, it's not a blog, an email message every week to our supporters, to our community partners, to our young people. And, and last week's it was my birthday. And uh, I, I wrote about, you know, how your birthday always falls on the same day, right? Your birthday does not care if this has been a terrible week or you're bloated or you know, you've, you, um, you, you know, lost a job or somebody hurt you or they don't, it's, it's, it is when it is. And most of the time I'm one of these really obnoxious birthday people. That's like, it's my birthday month and it's my birthday week. And, you know, I have celebration after celebration. And, and I think just sidebar, some of it comes from, I was very suicidal as a teen. And I think I'm just so overwhelmingly grateful to be alive that every time I have a birthday, I'm like, I'm still here. This is pretty awesome. Right. So, yeah. So I, but this, this particular birthday, I had a lot of really horrible things happening at once. And I, for just a moment, I said, hang on, do the thing that you say you want for all of these kids, right? Get it, find a moment and just have that moment. That moment is also good. It doesn't have to be this whole week. It doesn't have to be this whole month. It doesn't have to be the weekend plans all go right. This Find this moment. And I love that so much about the work that we do at OSW because 
we're all about the moment. We're all about the joy and the love and the hope in a moment. And saying that too is okay. Just because it's all not okay, doesn't mean this isn't okay. Doesn't mean that this time of you getting to finally go and, you know, take that gymnastic class you wanted to, and that's your one day a week where you feel present and happy and active and comfortable. That's, that's good too. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And that's, you know, I think it's my, it's our philosophy in the, in the work we do. It's how I try to live as, as best I can. And again, that means that I'm totally screwing up a lot of the time, right? <laughs> because, because I'm not saying that this is perfect. Like sometimes I'm awful at the things I think I'm best at, but it's also okay. Like you said, be okay with not being okay. Yeah. And uh, I think that's great. Uh, and there was there was another bit. This is a little bit a little bit um, further again. Um, there's a difference between not feeling okay and being okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. we aren't our feelings. No. No, I don't. I mean, I think. I, I think that, so that's, it's, it's, we aren't our feelings, but it's a little tricky for me. Cause I think, you know, when you are, I think you should try to be as present as you can in the moments where you are feeling loved and supported, because I do think that that can help carry you through the times when you're not. And I, so I don't think it necessarily defines you, but I do think it's very important that you pay attention to all of them, because when you're not at your best, if you've really remembered or held on to what it was like when you were feeling wonderful, it can, and, and, and again, I say this as somebody who had a, a lot and still has a lot of really rough times, yeah. is being able to go back to a feeling of a moment, that, because, that, because the, the bad part is also just a moment. Yeah. Have I shared my diamond? It's not mine, actually. It's a, it's a guy from the West Coast. Uh, um, it's his metaphor. Uh, but I, I adjust it for the adoption world. Have I, have I shared the diamond metaphor? The diamond no. in the horse poop metaphor? No. <laughs> okay. Diamond, horse poop, right? A pile of horse doo-doo. The... The diamond is who we are, and it's lost in the trauma of the thing. And most of us are focused on the poop, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not on the diamond. So for me, it's the, you know, like everybody talks about trauma, trauma informed, trauma informed, right? Yes. Yeah. But trauma-informed, yes. But there's a lot of people out there who are trauma-obsessed. And if you're focusing on the poop, then you miss the diamond. Yes. There is a wonderful, 
young woman that I met probably 10 years ago. And uh, she, she had lived her most of her life in foster homes, in and out, group home, foster home, occasional stint back home with bio mom back in foster care. And she, like many who age out of the system, had decided that she wanted to give back and be part of, you know, making it easier, better uh, for, for those going through it. And so in her early 20s, she got involved in an organization that uh, had, you know, supportive programs uh, for, for kids that were moving through the system. And she had really done an exceptional job of connecting with these young people, but also in her own life in focusing on her job, going back to school, um, and not without hurdles, not without speed bumps, right? But she had gotten through this, um, gotten through this all, and she had, uh, the one last hurdle she had was she wanted to get her driver's license. And so she came to us and her wish was for uh, lessons because now she's in her 20s and there's no programs, you know, that pay for this kind of thing. So we paid for her to get her driver's license, uh, lessons, so she could learn to drive and get her license. And uh, I met, I got to meet her and I was talking to her about how, how did she get a lot of young people who are struggling with all the things they've been through, all the poop, right? Fail to, fail to see the diamond, fail to be able to focus there. And I said to her, like, how, how did you, what happened? Like, what happened to you? And I, that was way back when, before I even read Bruce's book. So maybe he needs to credit me. I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, but he's, so he's, Bruce, credit yeah, Bruce, I need one a little footnote. Yeah. Um, so he, so she said to me that she had a caseworker when she was aging out and going through independent living where they, you know, are transitioning you. And she said she would always herself would show up and would talk about, but this, but that this happened. Da, 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 da. And her worker said to her, You've been riding this trauma train your whole life. Don't you think you've used that ticket long enough? When are you going to hop off and take another train? And she said it was something about that analogy of her having spent all this time finding a reason why not, finding an excuse, finding a but, finding a hurdle, that she was missing all the focus on the why she could, or who could help her, or why she wanted better. And she said, that was, you know, of course not the end. It's not a Hollywood movie. It wasn't like a light switch. But she said, she goes back to that. She said, I go back to it. Whenever I start to hear myself using too many pain points as my reason to not do something or to explain why I did something wrong, instead, I say I'm on a different train now. Yeah. And I know, I think it's similar to what you just said. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a focus. She, well, she knew she had it in her. But it's an insight. It wasn't a strategy, right? This woman said something to her and she had an insight. Yes. She, she, it wasn't a strategy. She didn't think I need to think this differently. She had a new idea. She'd been thinking one way and then she had a shift in the level of, of her consciousness. But the shift in the level, it, it, it wasn't a premeditated shift. She didn't write a plan for it. It was a new idea that came to her in the moment. And she realized that her story was holding her back because she thought she was watching, she thought she was watching CNN 
And she realized it was the comedy channel. She realized it wasn't true, right? So it's insights. That's what drives change. But everybody thinks it's about strategies. So I had a similar one, right? So I'm, I'm, this is going back to my time with the, uh, the teddy bear story, right? So I'm telling this woman about uh, finding out my, my, my uh, teddy bears from my birth, birth mum. And I'm saying she didn't love me enough. To, I'm having this big volcano, volcanic eruption of anger that I had never felt before, right? It wasn't a dormant, you know, it, well, it never happened before. I never had that eruption. I, ne I never given my bio mum any thought at all. Uh, and I had, at 40, I had this eruption and I was sharing this, and I, I, I never had it before. I was sharing the eruption with this woman called Sarah. And she said, Simon, um, she did, I said, she didn't love me enough to keep me. She gave me, and then I used, dropped the F-bomb, this teddy bear, right? And, and this, this, this woman, Sarah, said to me, she said, um, well, Simon, uh, I'm a mum, and I don't think it was kind of quite like that. And it's like, woof. The folk, there's still a bit of adrenaline running through me, you know, like after you've had an argument, there's a bit of adrenaline, you're still a bit hot. And... But the, the eruption just stopped when I saw the truth. Yeah, a different, a, a different possible reason, right? I, like you said, a, a, an insight. An insight. Yeah. I, I, you know, I just, I just want to share kind of one last thing because I feel like this is another example of, of this, but also just personally how I, I, I keep going back to, you know, something similar. So I was a major cutter for most of my life. Um, and I don't know why it started. People have often asked that and I don't know the answer. I don't know. No one told me to do it. Right. Nobody said, this will make you feel better. Here's a sharp object. Make yourself bleed. Like that didn't happen. It was just something. And um, did it for years and years and years and years. And one and my my parents were divorced and living in different places. And I was kind of bouncing between living with my dad and my mom, my dad, my mom. It was a lot. And I had gone into um, a hospital for some for some time for treatment and came out and was still cutting myself. And my mom one night who by this point, you know, this is years and years of having, having done, you know, dealt with this and medications and therapists. And, and she, and I, I was in the bathroom and I was cutting up my leg and she walked in, it was the middle of the night and I was sitting there and she looked at me and she said, you know what, I'm tired. If this is what you're going to do, this makes you feel better, do it. And she went back to bed. And there was a moment where I thought in that moment, oh my God, like, she's just going to leave me like this. And then almost like seconds later, I thought, huh, maybe I'll go to bed too. And I stopped and I went to bed and it was kind of like a, and, it, and I, Again, this isn't a perfect story of like, and then I never cut myself again. I did. But in that moment, I thought to myself, maybe she thinks that I'm strong enough to do something else. She's tired 
And I'm tired too. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want that to be the way that I handle these really difficult emotions. And it made me think, just like you said, it, it just hit me like, oh my goodness, maybe there's another side to this that I'm not seeing. And yes, it didn't stop me forever and ever and ever, but I never forgot that. And it did in that moment kind of give me a little sense of like power over my own choices. That what I was doing, that maybe there was another way to address that pain. And that my mom even believed that because I knew she loved me and she wouldn't have walked out of that room and like, let me die. So she was kind of leaving that room and saying, I think you got this because I'm tired. And that was okay, you know? So anyway, there's lots of those little things that sort of have happened through my life. And I think that it's why I, I feel so connected to the young people that we work with, even though I wasn't myself you know, in foster care, I was not adopted. Um, but I think just that, just a lot of the things that I, that I felt that I experienced, I think I feel, um, I, I'm not comparing, I don't, no one's experience is, is certainly the same, but I, I feel like I have a lot of empathy and a lot of, um, just a lot of the same doubts and fears and you know, chaos and instability. And, and, and I've, I have somehow figured out how to make this beautiful life for myself. That still isn't perfect. That still gets really screwed up and messy sometimes, but that's all okay too. And, um, and I, and I just hope that, you know, all these little moments we create for the kids that we're trying to help and young adults, cause you know, we don't have an age out thing with one simple wish that, that those will be little things. Maybe they go back to too. Same thing with my kids, right? Like the openness, the, the focus on moment, the focus on the here and now the focus on being okay with messing up. I think it's, you know, to me that this is the mark of a life well-lived. Yeah. Beautiful. So listeners, um, I always suggest that you check out what the guests are doing online in the show notes. And this one is a particular, I like to, um, what Danielle and her team are doing is uh, so awesome. I really would uh, employ you to check it out and to share what she's doing, right? Because we need to, from both sides. So we need more people. Um, Well, you say we need we know we need more people to get to make more of these wishes come true, and that can only happen by us getting the word out and sharing it. So, check her out on social, check out her website, and then please share it with your network, and so that we can more make more of these wishes come true. I don't normally do adverts, but there you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We do need more of it. We, the world needs more love. It needs more love and more hope. And, you know, it's, it's this, this is a site that I think the work that we do is really for everybody. It's not just for those that we're trying to help, but it's for those who help. Because I find so many people go to our site and they read a wish and they tie it back to something that they found joyful and wonderful in their own childhood. And they're so excited to give that to somebody else. 
and you know it, it is and it helps more people who need us find us and and if anybody listening needs us it doesn't matter how old you are if you've ever experienced foster care you ever had um, involvement with the child welfare system you are eligible to be part of our program and you know we we hope to bring this worldwide that's we got to do it thanks a lot danielle thanks listeners. Thank you. we'll speak to you very soon bye now